0: It's the Word of God and utterly reliable, but again, hung in its own space with no relationship to a commitment in the blood that God had made. Faith, the authority with which the heroes of Scripture spoke. And I kind of wondered, you know, this authority for them to speak such wonders and and God to honor His Word. And I, I just began to think, Lord, how, how how does that all relate? They were speaking out of a prior commitment God had made to them. Uh, and, and even even the name of Jesus Um that that the name of Jesus is the heart of the covenant, uh, his loyal covenant. So if what we believe to be the gospel is not the power of God and the salvation, then we need to ask ourselves if we understand the gospel at all. To understand the gospel fully, we must understand what? The new covenant. And then another word for in the Old Testament, New Testament, it, it could have been translated what? Old covenant, new covenant. So our church really could be called the first new covenant, <laughs> the church. And... Uh, that was free. That that was on my own there. With no help. You could tell it was really brilliant. The people in the Bible, they lived in the atmosphere of covenant. So as I began to get into this, I'm telling you, when I got, when I began, a little revelation came to me, and I just began to bawl and cry and weep because I didn't really have the full understanding of the new covenant like God wanted me to have. And I, But Because everything for the word, people in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, they lived and they breathed the air of a covenant. Uh, So all relationships were linked in some way to them, to covenant. And the family unit was understood as a covenant. Each member being uh, tightly knit to each other with a sense of covenant responsibility. Uh, The old covenant was made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Moses was their representative, because I'm going to talk about that this morning here. It was the covenant of the Ten Commandments. The sacrificial system of offering up lambs, bulls, and goats to cover the sins of the people. The mark and the seal of membership in the covenant was the circumcision of the male. The new covenant is called new because it's made all that went before it old and of no more use as means of salvation. It was not just another covenant that improved on the previous one. The word new means new in in kind, new in every way. That which has never been thought of or dreamed of before. So for the, for those in the old covenant, they couldn't even dream, they couldn't even imagine, they couldn't even comprehend anything close to this new covenant. So for, for when Jesus came and and he would begin to talk about dying, it was so far from their thinking, they really couldn't even begin to understand it. And so this covenant is, is mediated by, by the Lord Jesus and established by his blood. Membership is being sealed by the Spirit of God, who writes the law, the Word says, on the heart and the desires of men and women. He is the power of the covenant enabling those within it to live its promises. So uh, you could put up, uh, maybe uh, put up on the, on the screen the, uh, the aspects of the covenant. So I kind of want to look at the, at what they understood as a earthly covenant between a man's covenant. God kind of took that example and he, and he enhanced it and made it, made it whatever you want to say. It was a kind of a symbol of his covenant he was going to give us. And I just want to talk about that a little bit, aspects of the, of the core covenant. Now, the first one is the representative. And so you can write this down. I'm not going to get to but maybe one today. Maybe you can look it up on your own. Uh, the representative, the oath, the blessing, the promise, the sacrifice, the seal, the friends, the meal, the place, the memorial. And, and, and it, all, it all relates to the way God has established his covenant with us. And, and the last one is the loving kindness. So before I break down the covenant, I just kind of want to give a little definition that I found here of the covenant. So someone had said binding. It's a binding obligation. A binding obligation. The English word for covenant from the from the Latin means to come together or to agree. The Hebrew word means to bind or to fetter. A binding obligation. In the scripture, it's the ultimate. Listen. It's the ultimate expression of committed love and trust and was usually made to define, confirm, establish, or make binding a relationship that has been in the making for some time. It's not a contract, and I'll get into why it's not a contract here in a minute. So, if you can't put up the definition there, you're going to take a picture of this as well. So, a covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties, based upon unconditional love, sealed by blood. Now, this is just talking about a human a human contract that they understood. So. An and sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. The parties to the covenant place themselves under the penalty of divine reputi- reputation. Anyhow, uh, judgment should they later attempt to avoid those undertakings. It is a relationship that can only be broken by death. It's not like a contract. Contract can be broken when about any time, can it? Um, this is not a It can't be broken. The only thing that could break this is, a, is death. And then it's between the two parties. So in the Bible, most covenants were made with unequal, unequal covenants. In the sense, initiated by a person with vast more superiority and power and authority and graciously imposed upon a person of lesser power. So... I guess there's lots of examples, maybe like Jonathan and David. You know, when Jonathan made a covenant with David and David with Jonathan. At the time, David was was running from the king, and Jonathan was the, was the prince, was the, the, the son of the king. But they made this binding covenant, and David made it with him and didn't break it even after Jonathan was dead. And, and, and he, he showed favor. He showed his love to Jonathan. How? By taking Methuselah uh, into his home. And, and he uh, took care of him, even though he was crippled. So the first ingredient was the representative. So when we're making a covenant here, the first most important ingredient was the representative. So when a group of people prepare to enter into covenant with another party, they select a man among themselves to represent them in covenant making. See, this is really hard for my thinking because I think in terms of individuals. Like, and that's how we think in our Western mind, individual thinking. We don't think in a sense of representative. Maybe we do in a law setting. You know, you, you have the, the attorney that represents you. But it's not like that. So, uh, when a group of people prepare to enter the covenant with another party, they select a man from among themselves to represent them in the covenant making. The word represent means to present again. To present again. Get that in your head. To represent the will of another to speak and act with authority on the part of another to a substitute or agent for. Knowing the needs and desires of those he represents, the representative represents their case. Speaking as and for them to the other party of the covenant. The representative had to be of the same blood and family as those he represented. So, you know, you ever wonder, why did, why did God's son have to become flesh? You know, sometimes we tell people about this. First of all, who uses the word covenant every day? Who uses the word covenant on on a somewhat regular basis? Who hardly ever uses the word covenant? And yet, the word of God is the new covenant. That's why I'm like, God, I got to get an understanding of the covenant here so I can understand you, so I can understand your blood, so I can understand you as a representative. And I'm hoping to some other folks here today that God can help us get a grip on that as well. But So the word it means to represent, knowing the needs and desires of those he represents, the representative represents the case, speaking as and for them to the other party of the covenant. So this is what got me. So basically, they this one person becomes the many, becomes everyone, in the sense he represents them. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you that here in this First Samuel here in just a minute, just as one of many examples. So the representative had to be of the same blood and family as those who representative. As a representative, he gathered the tribe, clan, or family into himself and made the covenant as and for them. So that's important to know. He made it as if he was them and for them. So it's not like a contract that they both agree coming together here. The representative is also known as the guarantor of the covenant. The one in and through whom the covenant is made, and the guarantee that its terms and promises will be kept. So this person now is the guarantor that he's, that this is going to be kept. So the Bible introduces us to a different way of thinking in which people are in a representative person whose actions and achievements become the actions and achievements of the whole family. Are you connecting this to Jesus Christ now? So, the clan, the tribe. The story of Goliath here represents the Philistines. So let's read this. Now the first one. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Asgia and Ephesadim uh, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elka and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. We'd always act this out, but I'm not going to do that for you this morning. But. And there went out a, cha- a champion out of, the, out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six, six cubits in a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had a, a grease of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. It was like, I don't know. We have a big maul, a big splitting maul. It's like 15 pounds, you Now Try picking that up and imagine throwing that thing as a spear. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and he cried to the armies of Israel and said, and I, I used to act like I was glad. I said, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? And not I, a Philistine, and ye a servants to Saul? Choose you a man for, for you and let him come down to me. Now, listen, they understood covenant here. They understood representative as good. When I would read that in the past, I thought, well, how. How come they all went along with this? Goliath's out here by himself. Just attack him, you know. Why why, why let this big giant out here, you know, do this? But they understand representative like we didn't understand. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. So he has become the army, all the armies in him. If you kill him, then we all surrender. So, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now David, and they go into the story of David, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip down there here in a few verses. And So David rose, and you know he goes to the army. So this is going on for, what, six weeks, every day, morning and night. Maybe at noon, I remember all of it. But he'd get up and he would, he would just over and over again say, come on, choose a man. Well, you know, he was, he was, what, nine or ten feet tall. And the only other man in the Israeli army that was even come close to comparison was who? Saul. Saul was a cubic higher than the average man. So really he was saying, Saul represents, he's the king, he represents Israel. I represent the Philistines, come and fight with me. So here's little David, a shepherd boy. I don't know. I, I don't picture him being, I said he's ruddy and he's kind of a, a cute little kid, you know. And I, 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 most unlikely all to represent all of Israel. And so here he is. He comes and he hears the threats. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come? Verse 25, surely defy Israel. He's come up and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. No more taxes. So David spake to the man who stood by him. What shall be done? He, he, just, he just couldn't get over it. You mean, tell me again, am I hearing this right? That th- this is going to be done for the man? Are you a bunch of cowards? He didn't really say that, but he had been confused with all these great fighting men, his brothers, and King Saul. And they all let this guy taunt him every day as the representative. Surely there's a man here that will represent Israel. So so and the people answered him after this man, he, he, read, he keep repeating it. He's like, tell me again. And of course, then his brothers, they get jealous, and they have stuff to say to him. And then he goes to Saul, and, and Saul puts on his armor. It's too heavy. He can't, it's just too much. He, you know, so he takes his, his sling and his five stones. And, uh, and so he tells him how he slew a lion. He slew a bear in verse 36. Verse 37, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, now the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, well, go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> I like Saul's answer to that. He's like, he's like, okay, this man, this guy has something. I think he can represent us. And Saul armed David in the story there, and he took his staff, in verse 40, in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. And I've heard someone say there was five giants. He thought maybe he was going to have to take on the other four. That's so why he had five stones. I, I don't know. Sounds pretty good. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. Usually we picture David here, this glide by himself, but there's a guy with a shield in front of this big guy, you know? And so David's out here by himself, no shield, no armor, no nothing. and uh, And the Philistine said, David... The Philistine said to, said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou defied. defied. So, so what he was really saying, he's saying, I'm a representation of this nation of Israel, who's God's people, who stand for God. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day, unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Don't you like this, young man? All these cowards and all this army, but he said, I will represent, you know, I think of of our Jesus, our representative. He was not afraid to go to the cross of Calvary, was he? He was not afraid to face the the devils of hell for you and I as our representative, and that's what I think of in David here. So, this day will the Lord deliver thee in mine hand, and I will smite thee. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran toward him, hastened at the army to meet the Philistines. David put his hand in that bag, and he, he began to... Sl- spin it around, and I guess from what I understand, there's only one little tiny spot in his army that had a little hole to hit him right between the eyes, which wouldn't kill him, but it would knock him out cold. My dad loved to watch fights as a kid. He hated Muhammad Ali. I loved Muhammad Ali, so him and I would fight with Muhammad. If as as they would fight, we would fight, you know. My dad, he's always up, you know, come on, you know, and so once in a while, Joe Fraser, some of those old they they they, they they'd land a blow, and you just watch the guy just sort of crumble, boom, down he went. That's I saw a picture of old Goliath when that rock hit him; he's like coming toward him, with bam, down he went. It was no slow motion. It was no old Western in that one. It was just down he went, you know. And and so here it says, and all this assembly shall know verse forty nine. David put his hand in his bag. He took it and slung it and smote Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk deep into the forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And as you read this, the men of Israel began to chase after him. David was an, was, an, was an Israelite, therefore he qualified as one who could take the place of Israel. When, the, when he left the army of Israel behind him, he stepped out to fight the giant. He was no longer a simple private citizen of Israel, fully aware of the needs of Israel. He was representing them as they. And he, 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 summed, he was the sum of Israel and himself when he went out on that battlefield— embodying its people what happened to him this day happened to the entire nation so his victory or his defeat would be felt not only by the army of israel but in every village in every city and in every life of every person in the nation of israel are you getting a hold of this so he became the embodiment of israel and so whenever he defeated the enemy the victory was for all of the nation of israel so, so let me just briefly just talk about the second one here. I'm going to kind of come back to the representative here, but the second one is the oath, the covenant oath. Um, so we got a, a contract is a, a vessel whereby properties and goods are transformed from one per, trans, transferred from one person to the next. So that's kind of a contract. Hayden, you might understand contracts a little bit, huh? Contracts are negotiable. Contracts can be changed or canceled. Contracts are only as good as the character of the contracting parties whose signatures seal the document and therefore can be easily broken. A covenant is far above the exchange of property and things. It is given of one's whole person, whole self, and life to another and wholehearted receiving of that other person in his and her life. A covenant is made with an oath. So an oath is a solemn affirmation, a binding, as someone said earlier, a binding of oneself to the fulfillment of the word spoken while appealing to God. Now, um, when you think of an oath in our modern world, what do, you, when do, what do you think of? An oath. A vow? Come on, let's be more specific. You're watching TV and there's going to be an oath. What? Do you, huh? Yeah, someone becoming, being uh, sworn into office. We use the word sworn in. Into office. What's another time we think of an oath? We we sit we set in the chair and we're a witness in a trial and what do they ask us to do? Solemnly swear. You take an oath and what's it say at the end? So and you, help me God. Where, where did that come from? Why, why, why do they say so help me God? So an oath is a solemn affirmation of binding oneself to the fulfillment of the word spoken while appealing to God. So here's the difference in a covenant. A covenant is now you're making an oath. God's making an oath here. Boy, this really gets me right here. So, God's making an oath, and it says that He swear to who? To us? No, He swear to Himself, because there's no greater by which He can swear. Make an oath to Himself. So, the covenant partners of the Old Testament called upon God to be witnesses of the truth of their words. They called upon God to be their strength in the keeping of the covenant terms. So this isn't a regular covenant. That's how they understood it. They called upon God to keep and ever present watch over the parties to ensure that the covenant was being kept. God became the third party in the covenant. Once made with the oath, a covenant was non-negotiable and could not be altered. Not, not like a contract. Of course, demanded. Oh, so help me God! God has a radical agenda of love. He reaches to every man and woman to reconcile him to himself and return each of us to the reason for our creation. How does He achieve this goal of total transforming the man and woman who is dead in their sins? No help from us. A unilateral covenant, covenant originating solely from with Him and freely offered to man as his gift. A covenant based on the oath of God who swears by himself because the Bible says he can swear by no greater. A covenant is between two parties and each party has its representative. How shall this covenant take place when the human side of the covenant is sinful, unfaithful, loving our darkness rather than the light of God? How can can our oath mean anything? How can our word mean anything? Why would we ever trust in ourselves? If someone lied to you as much as you've lied to yourself, you would have nothing to do with them. If someone failed you as much as you have failed yourself, you would definitely never trust them. So why do you ever trust yourself? In the things of God. So no one on earth to represent humankind. Job nine, thirty two and thirty three. I'm just going to read it, Job 9, 32 and 33. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. We need a second man to restart the human race. And that's another Adam who can set right what the first Adam brought to destruction and bring humankind to the intimacy with God that he had been created to enjoy. But there's no one that qualifies for that. Because the representative had to be what? They had to be what? They had to be of the same family, the same blood. They had to be in that representative. There was no one really in humankind. We, and, and they had to be without fault as well. But one who can represent, to, re, to present us again, he is the divine representative, Jesus Christ. The good news is the announcement that God has provided this man in a way that no one could dream in their wildest imagination. No one could have ever thought it up how he was going to redeem man. How how could all a sinful man who would sin, would we, we deserve death, hell, and the grave? What do we deserve judgment? How far have we fallen? More than we could ever imagine we have fallen. We have no idea how far we've fallen. That's why any pride in the flesh is so foolish. You could be good from this day. You could do perfectly from this day forward, and it would never even compare... To how righteous and holy that you need to be because you are so fallen and I am so fallen. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, but, it, but as it is written, what's it say? I had not seen. Have you ever connected these verses with the new covenant? I had not seen nor heard, neither had entered into the heart of man the things that God had prepared for them that love him. Before all of creation, before God ever spoke and said, let there be light. He had a plan for mankind. And that plan was a covenant he was going to make a covenant that can never be broken that can never be failed that can never spoil before time god p- produced the plan god the father in his great love determined to send his son who without ceasing to be god would take to himself our humanity and become flesh the son in love for us agreed to come and as a true human live our human life think about that god As a true human, live our human life, facing our hardships, facing our temptations, and offer Himself to die as our representative for us. He would raise from the dead, having put away sin and achieved the reconciliation of the world to God, bringing about what we call the new covenant. The Holy Spirit agreed to come and make the covenant a reality in the lives of those who believe. Our mediator, our go-between, he possesses the nature and attributes of God, Jesus, and so represent him to humankind, and he has taken the nature of humankind without sin and so fully knows the needs and represents us to God. Does both. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God. I don't know. I guess the reason why it's got to me is I begin to read this and study this is I realized that it's not based upon me. What I realized is how secure my, his love is for me. He has made this covenant between himself. It can't be broken. I guess it just, it just began to make me understand. You know, I, ask, I think I asked family, why do you think God created mankind? Someone says, well, because uh, he wanted to fellowship with us. The Bible says he didn't need fellowship. He was all complete in himself. He doesn't need us in any way. And that's interesting, isn't it? So it wasn't. I mean, we walk, you know we walk with him in the, in the cool of the day, and that's what they did. But he didn't need that. They needed that, but he didn't need that. But he created us to love us. God is love. He created us to love us. To love us in our broken state. To love us in our filthiness. To love us in our grossness. To love us as we are. To, to love us so much to become us and die for us. Can you imagine? Can you? Con- no, no wonder no one could ever dream it. No one could ever imagine it. That God would become us. And represent us. Isn't this good? So. The Son in love for us agreed to come as a true human, live our human life, facing our hardships and temptations, and offer himself to die as our representative, representative for us. He would raise from the dead, having put away sin, and achieve the reconciliation of the, of the world to God, and bring about the new covenant. The Holy Spirit agreed to come and make the covenant a reality in the lives of those who believe. Our mediator, our go between 1 Timothy 2, five says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John, 1 John two one and 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. For if any man sin, you have what? An advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Intercessor. To go or pass between, to act between parties with a view to reconciliation, to mediate. The Bible says he ever lives to what? Make intercession for us to our representative, to represent us. Also one who acts as a guarantee to secure something which otherwise could not be obtained. You know, I I, I know in in the financing, if you try to get a loan and you don't really qualify for the loan... Sometimes you can get what? A guarantor, right? Someone that would guarantee. I remember when I was 16, I went to the bank to buy a car. Seems foolish now, but then it made sense. I was 16, walked into a bank, sat down with the loan officer, said, I want to borrow money to buy a car. He goes, well, how much money do you got to put down? I said, I don't have anything to put down. He said, well, um, what's your credit like? Uh, what's that? He's like, uh, do you have any, anybody co-sign? I said, co-what? He goes, you know, someone to guarantee that you're going to pay this. I said, I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> he goes, you got a job? Hey, I got a job. I can show you my little, my little check stubs. I got a job. I said, I promise I'll pay it. And here's the crazy part. They loaned me the money. <laughs> my dad had to come in and sign because I was only 16. But yeah, his credit was horrible. And I paid that loan off in six months and went back and traded that car. I wanted a different car. So I traded that one in and I, you've heard about my car troubles. I got a different car and they loaned me the money. And then when I got ready to go to Bible college, I went in and I borrowed money to go to Bible college from this bank. Hey, I had credit after two years. But the point I'm making is that someone had to co-sign. They had to guarantee that if I didn't pay that, they, that, that they would pay it. And I've, I've co-signed since for many people and had to pay it because they didn't pay it got smarter since. So Jesus is our guarantor of a better covenant, of a new covenant. He guarantees it. Hallelujah. I, I, don't, I hope you can get it like, I've, like, like it's slight. I just got a little slight revelation of it. I hope you can get it in an even greater way. But I just begin to get a little slight understanding of covenant. It's not a contract. It can't be broken. It's made with an oath. It's made between God and his son. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. But how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hebrews 9, 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. What was another word for testament? Is a new covenant. Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Jesus, the Son of God, is the new covenant where, in himself, the representative of God and the representative of the whole human race. Our mediator. Hey, Amen. Maybe I'll come back and... We've got a couple minutes here and play. And... uh I just want to end by, I want to open the altars and maybe just take a moment just to, if you want to pray in your seat or pray at the front here and just say, God, I help me to really get this true understanding of what it means as you as the representative of this covenant. The core of the covenant is found in understanding example of the human covenant. The representative and the oath, Jesus, the God-man, our and God, the Father's representative. The oath made between God, the Father, and God, the Son, is eternally secure, unable to be broken. Why? Because God cannot break His oath. He's not a man that He should lie. Neither is Son a man that He should repent. Had He not spoken, shall He not make it good? So, whenever He made a binding covenant, God the Father with God the Son, because it can't be broken. <laughs> what can break a covenant? Only, only, o- only death. And God is eternal, and He's never going to die. We'll get into maybe more of the sacrifice of the covenant, because in in a covenant there has to be blood. Pastor Lee has talked about that. And in this covenant, there's a, there's a going between the sacrifices. and In this covenant, there's loving kindness and there's judgment if it's broken. But, so I want to open up these altars and familiar with your seat and maybe just say, God, help me get a hold of this, what, you, what, what the new covenant really is. Help me understand what it means for you to represent me as you died upon that cross, as you took away my sins.